everyone. I am Jenny Walk from Elephant in the Room Consulting, and I'm very, very excited to be here with my digital BFF, Kylie Mowbray Allen from Hello Media. How are you, Miss Kylie? Great. Nice to see you, Jenny, on your nice uh, adventure in Sydney. It's very exciting times. It is. I've had a lovely week in Sydney hanging out. Supply Diversity Conference uh, Connect was on this week in the award ceremony. We didn't win, but that is okay. We were in the company of amazing, amazing um, business owners and entrepreneurs in the Indigenous space. And we are definitely in, in a good space now, I think, as, a, as an industry. And it was exciting. And also it's Reconciliation Week as of today. So it's the first day of Reconciliation Week. And yesterday, sorry day. Yes. I'm yes, they reading lots and lots and lots of amazing articles by people and talking about the excitement about the future of our country for the first time indigenous people actually there in parliament doing you know going to be changing some things it's it is and as you've said that i've just gotten goosebumps um i actually think it was it's a testimony when you and we were at the museum yesterday um sydney museum has this amazing thing called museum after dark which i didn't know Thursday night, you can go and hang out at the Sydney Museum for free. They have trivia night randomly and you get to wander through the museum. And we were at the museum and they had a, a copy of the apology statement from Kevin Rudd. Wow. And um, and members of my family have never actually read the apology statement. If you haven't actually read it, it's a really a beautiful piece um, to read. But what was really interesting is when, when um, Albanese came, uh, you know, on the weekend and said that he was, you know, took the what's the word the declared his position as the prime minister the first thing he said is we commit to the Uluru statement from the heart in full and yeah. that and as the first thing that the new prime minister says it sets the tone and the opportunity for us to to be brave and make change as the theme is for this week for this year for reconciliation week doesn't it and as welcome to country you know oh, i know it's beautiful to hear that you know when a prime minister gets up and speaks it's yeah and i think when as soon as we start to understand that a, a you know an acknowledgement of country is just like you would do when you open the door to your own home or someone else opens the door to your home and invites people in to hang out it's about welcoming them welcoming people to someone else's home and recognizing that this space is does not belong to any one of us it belongs to you know it belongs to our nations it belongs to our communities um it doesn't belong to us and you know and I, i'm on i'm on gadigal country uh, sorry i'm um, yeah, country and and when I kind of wander around I have to be mindful of you know whose country I'm on and what I'm doing and, and that's constant with me whether I verbalize it or not and so him doing that was certainly a, a set, sets a really amazing precedent for people to um to start to be brave and make change I love that line you just said start to be brave and make change yes yes yeah. it's, it's some it's some big things are here for it us it is it I'm is. excited about it. I read <laughs> something with someone saying um, just the other day, for the first time in a very long time, I'm feeling hopeful. It's like, oh, that was, that was beautiful. It was somebody that had, you know, really lost everything in the floods and feeling so ignored and, you know, the whole region just feeling a little bit, you know, like nothing's happening to improve it. And then to hear that line was really beautiful. It's like, yes. And we forget the importance of hope. Like it's, and we talk a lot about, you know, being brave and all these things and doing all this work and being grateful. Always look at that kind of let's reflect on what we have. But that idea and recognition that we have to be hopeful and that idea that something will change and be better and that we can improve how we are and that we're hopeful about life, 
that's a it's such a powerful emotion that we really don't spend time reflecting on or considering because it's always the other end of the scale but hope is actually is, a, is an intrinsic motivator if you have hope it actually encourages you encourages you and enables you and, and word that you know i don't really love but empowers you to actually take action and do something because you know something better or something different is going to come absolutely i think you forget that fantastic jenny so i know we're talking about pricing today which i'm excited about but given that it is the start of reconciliation week can you share a little bit about that for you and what that means for you uh, it's a really interesting question um and thank you for asking uh i think i'm really blessed i have had two incredible parents and i have you know father and my mother and my mother being one of the bravest women I've ever met. Um, and so when we were kids, we heard stories from her about, you know, going through or not, and didn't wasn't kind of an often story, but when she would share around going through assimilation and and going through um, what she went through as a, as a teenage woman who was not as dark as other Aboriginal people, so having to be taught to be a white girl and having to constantly battle her identity as a, as a young woman, but then sort of putting that aside almost to, to just continue on and you know become a nurse and join the air force and then join the public service and 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 you know be recognized for her work with public service medals and i think looking at my mother and looking at the the journey she has it 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 makes me reflect in a different way to many other aboriginal people i think because i had any i had an opportunity and we all had an opportunity to really excel and thrive our whole life and i think what reconciliation does is it it makes us remember that not everyone has had those same opportunities. I am incredibly blessed and not everybody, both, you know, black, white or other, whether you're from a minority or underrepresented group, women, you know, whether whoever it is, we not everyone has had those opportunities. And what reconciliation does is it recognises that there has been a past that's resulted in systemic disadvantage. And it's about you know, finding ways to to bridge the gap between that systemic disadvantage that exists across our nation, um, and really talk about it and and bring it to light and take it out of the shadows and and own it and say what are we going to do about it? It's not a blame. It's not about saying it's anyone's fault, but we all have an opportunity to do something about it, to make a change, to take action, even if it's only something small to change your belief structure, to learn something new. And so I think that's what this that's what this week and this movement for me is about, is about learning and sharing our histories and our cultures so that we can create an incredible future for us. You know, we've been here for 60 plus thousand years and we would like everyone else, you know, our the people who inhabit this country now to be here with us 60,000 years in the future. And the only way we're going to do that is if we come together and actually recognise those injustices, find ways to get past them and 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 move forward as, as a, you know, a, a continent with lots of many nations. I just, I appreciate so much you sharing that. And I want to point out one thing you said right at the very end, which was about actually recognising and acknowledging and feeling, well, not feeling, knowing it's time to, to start. So, Jenny... For people just beginning on this journey of understanding and for people who are already what you know on the journey and wanting to know more what do you suggest um because i i just said before we went live that one of the things i love is on instagram you do shout outs to different indigenous businesses and i really each time i go and follow them and i really really enjoy that 
So what would you suggest? Other, I, I would suggest everyone goes and follows you, obviously, and, and sees, you know, recommending and et cetera. But, but are there websites or are there organisations that you can recommend? Oh, of course. So Reconciliation Australia has a website, reconciliation.org.au, and that's a good place to start to get a little history and understand why we're here today and what this, you know, this um, week is bookending and why we're actually having Reconciliation Week. And, in fact, I'm actually not going to share that. I would, I, you know, am going to encourage and invite people today to go and look at reconciliation.org.au and ask why we have Reconciliation Week. Have a look at why we're bookending the 27th of June and the 3rd, so 27th of May and the 3rd of June and learn that for yourself. I can tell you, but then that's not you taking action. I would love, I encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast to go to reconciliation.org.au, find out why Reconciliation Week is this week. They are two formidable dates in the history of, of change in the, in, you know, in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander movement. And I think learning that, so that's the first thing, just actually take action and learn um ask a question reach out and then come back and share it i think i did that on my share on my post today on my um eitr post is i've put that link if you want to go to uh, EI, um, also the room au we have some zoom bombers let me just yeah. remove that was random that's the first <laughs> time ever um, i know how strange is that <laughs> um, yeah, so all my posts today at Elephant in the Room AU, I've put the link. Go there, have a look, learn what why we book in these two dates, and then come back and share on my Facebook page as to what that means to you. So that would be the first thing. The other thing is, I went the museum last night was incredible. The um, the display and the storytelling that they have set up in the Australian in the Sydney Museum that talks through the history of this region was actually quite fun. I learned so much about some you know about the people's here that I didn't know and so just start going to find ways that excite you to learn so whether it's talking to people look at a museum I'm a tactile person I like to see I don't just like to read so being able to go through the museum and see things and and watch the journey and be part of that felt incredible um, but there's so many opportunities and ways that you can learn it's really just a matter about um, starting with a single question yeah brilliant thank you Jenny thanks for sharing yep. Um, I'm excited to hear more later on about the museum after dark. That's incredible. So <laughs> what fun and adding bingo in the mix. And uh, no, yeah. Oh, trivia. Yes. Trivia. Sorry. Trivia. <laughs> so let's talk about pricing though. If let's, I've talked enough. Let's talk about pricing. So in our, uh, in our last session, we talked about um, how to know when it's the right time. And we talked how actually any time is the right time if it's the right time in your business and your journey and where you're headed. Um, and I said I really like to have a little structure to it and aim for the new beginning of the new financial year or something like that. Um, but, you know, we've all got different ways of knowing when it's the right time in our business. So you can all go and have a listen to that from last session. Um, and today we're talking about actually how do you go about doing it? So, yeah, share your thoughts, Jenny, because I feel like we've got three different areas that we would look at. So we've got service-based in terms of coaching, service-based in terms of um, a service offering, like, like we mentioned last week, like a naturopath or something, or a psychologist appointment or whatever. And then we've got product-based businesses. And, of course, within the product-based, we've got the wholesale structure, the um, retail structure, but then we've also got the in-between those structures 
if, which we can talk about soon. Anyway, so yeah, there's a whole lot of variation going on around pricing for different styles of businesses. Yeah. So which one, where would you like to start? Well, I think the easiest one to talk to talk about is probably the product-based market. Um, I think product-based marketing is generally done as it's a pro- it's the, the way the prices are generally developed for product and we're talking big product. Um, but even to honest and honestly, like I was working with a client who makes vegan lipsticks, incredible vegan makeup and lipsticks. And when she had just decided when she started, I'm just going to price my competitors are charging $17. So I'm going to charge 14. And that was her pricing model. I just think I'm going to charge 14. But when we actually, so I said to her, that's great, but what is the cost of your product? And she actually didn't know. So the first thing I would say to you if you're a product based is make sure that you understand what the cost of your product is. So that includes the time, the labor, the electricity, every aspect that goes to get your product from the time you design it, it landed in front of you ready to sell to somebody. Um, so I know that sounds silly that somebody might start a product but not do that, but artists do it all the time. Artists paint and then just pick a price that they want to sell the, their piece of artwork with without actually thinking about what the input went into it. Because art, remember, is a product. It's not a service. And so I think... For all makers, like whether you're jewellery makers or anyone that's hand-making something, it tends to be a common common thing. It is. It's hard for them to work out that pricing. Yeah, and, and and there's some really good spreadsheets. If if you if anyone wants to jump on a call with me, I actually have a real a simple spreadsheet to help people develop that cost. If you, particularly if you're a hobbyist and an artisan hobbyist, um, to look at what the cost of your product is. So once you have the cost of your product down, the, and then you look at what your markup is going to be. So depending on whether you're doing retail or whether you're going to go wholesale, it will determine your price point. If you're never going to go wholesale, you actually don't need to have, you're only ever going to sell retail and it's going to be you selling directly to your customer. You, you don't actually have, have to have the same volume of markup as you do if you're at some point going to put a wholesale line in. What I mean by that is the markup that you need um, or the margin that you need on your on your product needs to be greater if at any point you want to have a wholesale market in there. Otherwise, you're actually going to lose a huge amount of your margin. And we can have a conversation for any product people listening. But the key point is, is once you understand what your base price is, you need to make sure it covers your cost, it covers your margin, it gives you that enough figure and make, gives you the volume that you need. And then the question is, is how often do you change it? And I do this as a quarterly review. So either a quarterly review or every every time you have to bulk order your, your raw materials is take stock of what that price, what the raw cost looks like. And if there's any change plus or minus of around 10%, if it's, if it's more than 10%, that is a really good trigger to say, I need to review my prices. So I look at it as a percentage change. If it's less than 10%, you should have enough fat in your margin to cover probably a small price rise of up to 10%. If your price point's going higher than 10%, that's the time to say, well, there's a shift in the market in terms of pricing, in terms of cost to deliver. So now we're going to actually look and trigger to see whether the price needs to change on our retail cost. Does that make sense? So you you use a, a, a a cost price trigger to determine when you need to change your retail prices. And I think that I need to add in there, when you say re- need to change your retail prices, that means need to increase. Because I yes. have surprisingly a number of people talk with me about how at different times, depending on their raw material costs, going down, that would be oh, no. prices. It's like, oh, I've, I've never really heard of that. Um, because that's then losing the opportunity for the, occasional sale or something like that correct also i think it's really important to note that when people say i haven't had a price increase in five years 
and I feel like people won't be buy things from me or you know whatever it's like actually you've got to stop thinking like that because everybody has to increase prices at some point 100 percent. but also you have to remember it's what you're talking 10 percent. so if your product is 25 dollars, a 10 percent price increase makes it what uh 27.50 so for $2.50, your customers are not, not, not going to balk at $2.50, particularly if it's a handmade or if it's a product that you're actually pulling together or you're compiling yourself. I think what happens is we, we when we're talking price price increases, people are looking at that it's gone from $25 to uh, $30 or $25 to $35 without any question or without any change. And that's the problem if you wait too long. If you if you don't have that incremental change or have an internal trigger that says when my my cost price changes, choose yours. I say ten percent, but it might be fifteen percent up. That might be when you trigger a price increase. But if you don't do that every time your costs are changing, either a you're going to erode your profit margin, which is which means that you'll actually be it's going to reduce your sustainability and your likelihood of success long term because you won't be able to afford to continue to produce it. But yeah. also when you choose to increase your prices, you get this gigantic big gulp of price increase. And that's when people go, oh, hang on, how did, you were 25 last week and I'm 35 now. Me saying, well, I didn't increase my price for seven years, so therefore I'm now, you know, you're paying the price now. That doesn't cut it with your customers. So that's when you're going to start losing customers. So incremental price increases, and this then flows onto that service piece, isn't it, right? Incremental price increases means that your customers actually travel with you and they can understand that you need to put your prices up or change your prices in on a regular basis absolutely and so sticking with that product just for a, a little moment more before we move on and look at services but in terms of um product increases a lot of people base their products pricing around what's happening in the market yeah. and i think that that can potentially be problematic at times so if you know that you need to have a price increase because your raw products, et cetera, you know, have increased or you've finally recognized that your own value of your hourly time needs to be included or increased or whatever, taking a look around you and going, okay, so if I can't increase that particular product because it will price it out of the market, what can I do with some of my other offerings? Because it's okay to have less of a margin in one product and more of a margin in another product so that you you know get it get it get where you need to head but yeah you don't want to have a product that you cannot sell because you've priced it out of the market um and, I, and again a similar client that i was talking to you about the lipsticks um had decided to make uh beeswax wraps and when we looked at the cost price of them developing it, so because of the volume they're making it, because it's a handmade process and it is quite labour intensive and quite arduous, the landed cost of that was going to be $35 to $45 for beeswax wraps. When you can go to markets and artisan markets and they're selling them for $15 because they're not costing in their own, their own value. So this is where you would have a complementary product. So those... In, in a service-based industry, we call it a loss leader. So essentially you have a product that's a loss leader, something that, that gets somebody in the door so they can then purchase the other product that you really want to sell. So it, whether it's a beeswax wrap, so they come in and then see all your other vegan products, whether it's a whatever it might be, um, it's looking at that transition of what is the what is the value or the intention of that product is it to make my money from that product or is it actually just about getting customer loyalty? And so this goes back to our conversations around clarity. What are your products 
trying to do for you? What are you trying to, where do they sit in your product suite for your business? And knowing that allows you to do exactly what you've just said. One is a high priced, it might be high priced, even high margin product. And then there's a, a slightly higher cost, but low retail that brings people in to attract you. The best example is a hairdressing salon. You go into the hairdressing salon. Yes, they do your hourly rate for you to cut the hair. They're making margins pretty low on the on the on the cutting of the hair, right? Because you think about the overheads of a hairdressing salon, paying a hairdresser thirty dollars an hour. You're getting charged seventy dollars for an hour, but there's a lot of cost in between that, so their margins quite low. So what they're what they're actually wanting you to do is upsell product. So either product brings you in. Or hairdressers bring you in so you buy product because that's actually where a large portion of their product, uh, their revenue can come from and their profit comes from. You know, that's a great example. And I was just thinking of another example, um, like, for example, I keep saying the word example. Uh, in Bangalore, we have the Bangalore Bolo and they have a restaurant attached. But in the past, it's always been, uh, you know, people that come in and take over, etc. One of the challenges has been that because the bolo sells alcohol, they can't sell alcohol as well. So where is in, in uh, restaurant land, where do we make all the extra money? It's in the booze, right? Mm -hmm. So really problematic. And I've watched it over and over and over again as new people come in to run the restaurant. And it just happens over and over that because they can't get those extra little cherries on top from the, um, from the alcohol sales, it's, it's yep. problematic. And I think, and it's, it goes back to that idea of it's that kind of accidental business. I started selling something, people wanted it, and I started selling more of it, but I didn't actually look at how much it's costing me to deliver it. And, and that's what creates sustainability is understanding what your profit margin is going to be and if that's enough for you to continue. Because it's not just the profit on, you know, it might cost me $10 to land the product, but the time it goes to market, it might cost me $18.50 because of everything else that I have to do around it. So if you can't sell that product for at least $25, it doesn't matter that it only costs you $10. You're not making $15. You're probably only making $7 per sale. That sounds like a lot, but it isn't unless you've got high volume. Yes. So, and this is where people go, oh, I'll just, I'll sell a hundred of them. Like, that's great. How are you going to do that? Oh, I don't know. So having to have that conversation around what am I going to do? What's the price point? And then what is the cost? And is that gap enough for me to get what I need to get to grow the business, to be sustainable. That's where, that's where price increasing is so important. You need to make sure that your prices are increasing as the, either not only the market around you to stay on par with the market, unless you have a particular price, your goal is to have a price advantage. And then you're always, you say you're always going to be 20% below the market. And I've seen that model before where someone says, I'm, I've committed to be 20% less than the market because I want to actually get volume. I want people to come to me because I'm cheaper. And they actually use that as a marketing ploy. Now, it's a very rare one these days, but it still works. And people say, I am always going to be 20%. Great example is, is Bunnings. I'm on. I'm not going to be... Pardon? Kmart. Kmart, any of those. I will I will price match. And I remember when back in the day when I worked at Maya, when I was, I don't know, God, in my teenagers, so 30 plus years ago, um, it was like price matching didn't happen. 
there was only two or three stores that price matched and Maya was one of them. So if you found it somewhere else and you came there and said, I want to buy it from you, they would have to match the price. And it was actually originally started because DJs and Maya were in such strict competition. DJs had to match the price of Maya, which was lower than DJs. So it's how they actually got people to come into DJs. It was their lost leader. I will match you on that price because once you're in here, you may not look at matching everything you purchase, but the one that the, the, the product that brought you into the shop is the one that you're going to be focusing on and doing a market comparison. And then you just start buying from us, right? You don't think about it after that. And so if you, whatever your decision is, then you just have to make sure your pricing model fits your broader business goals, but then it determines how you're going to change your price. If you, if you better change your price, you do. Your costs change your price, you do. Yeah. So one thing also I noticed that people forget when they're starting out a business, like you say, the whole accidental business owner and is around wholesale. So yes. the product that they're developing, they're super excited about it. They work out they're costing around you know, all the things. What's it cost to get it to market? What's it costing on my time, et cetera, et cetera. What they're forgetting are two very important things. Number one, what's it now going to cost me to market that product? And where am I marketing it to? And number two is actually, if it does grow and it really is going to be a winner, then I'm going to be approached by shops who want my product. Yeah. So then your pricing is going to need a ginormous increase to be able to swallow that or, or you're not going to be able to go down that road. So yeah. that's a really interesting one that I, look, that I see. And, you know, I think for those listening that are, that are new and just starting out, price it as if you were five years ahead and you already had decided that you're definitely doing wholesale. So even yeah. if the first year or two you're not, you don't want to have to make that ginormous leap when you're already out there at mark to market. A hundred percent. And Amy, you and I talk about this all the time, you know, act and play in the product like you're already a success. So if success for you is that your product is in a hundred stores nationally or across the globe, then you need to price it accordingly. And yeah. and, uh, and back in the day, and, and they will have changed a little bit now, but generally you're looking at your pricing needs to be at least 60, 66% margin plus that then accounts for a wholesale cut in between that. Anything less than about 60 to 70% as a margin for you, you means that if you when you go to wholesale, you'll actually be undercutting your costs significantly and it actually won't be sustainable over time. You'll find that your actual delivery costs and your market costs will be much greater. I think it's really important also to think about how do, if I have a, let's take, for example, the handmade product or a product that's like something a little bit different or something that you know that you're going to have to put a higher price on and you're going to get questioned about it. So think about what you're doing in your marketing. So put mm -hmm. some incredible videos together that show some of the behind the scenes. So show what goes into actually producing your product. Now, yeah. remember, we don't want to be showing people how you make your product because that's your IP, but actually being able to show, it might be, let's use the beeswax wraps as an example. You might have the bees on your property. So you might want to show that whole adventure with collecting the, the wax, et cetera. You might want to show the setup that you've got, where you've got your, you know, I don't know, your fabrics and your cutting and your, all the, like, there's a lot that goes into making that one product. And if you don't have some ginormous factory doing it, then show what really goes in behind the scenes with those hours of toil and labour and love that, that make that happen. Show and the value. 
and I completely agree. Like, I mean, when I told you, so I've got, you know, I, I love my Blackbird design earrings, which I have on today. Um, and when you look at someone like this, which is, you know, it's leather, it's hand, it's it's printed leather, it's all hand cut and then put together. But then there's other, um, some of my other favorite designers, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to say the name because the example might be a bit odd, um, is that when I watch them, they do posts about them hand making but they've set it up almost like this fairly hardcore production line. Now the videos are beautiful, but you see them gluing, you know, a thousand or a hundred of these things on, on to make their kind of amazing, you know, resin earrings or their kind of stacked earrings. And it's a beautiful video and it looks awesome, but I also look and go, but there's a thousand of those, a thousand more of those. And so it's, it almost devalues it. So you have to be really mindful about how you're positioned. Like the, their earrings aren't expensive. So I, I, it's not such a big deal because they're doing it in a way that the prices are quite uh, are quite reasonable anyway. But if you have something that's really boutique, like you're hand painting the leather on the earrings, or if you're doing something that you go, wow, every piece of leather that I get will be slightly different. Every earring that I'll get will be slightly different because it's bespoke. That's definitely worth showing, but just make sure that it sticks to the brand. And I think you just have to, well, what is my market? Do they want to know that I, you know, I do this amazing production line because I'm, I'm growing that might work for you. Or do you want to be, Hey, this is bespoke. It's a one-off piece. So therefore spending 70, 80, 90, a hundred dollars on a pair of earrings isn't, isn't going to be an issue because I will be the only ones with that particular earring on. Yeah, Absolutely. Jenny, I'm super aware of the uh, time. So oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> how about we chat about service-based pricing next week? Yeah, so let's do that. We've looked at product in detail today, so I hope that's been super helpful for those of you wondering about how to do it and why to do it and all of that. But, yeah, what about we look at services next week? We carry on with our pricing adventure. Let's do I think they would do because it's been a while and I think it's the topic that everybody does ask us both about. One one tip I will send and we might put in the chat, there's a really great, if you're not sure about pricing and markup and margin and what that means, there's a website that I often use with my clients and show them called Omni Calculator. So it's Omni Calculator and you can have a margin and a tax margin and a profit margin calculator. So you just put in what your cost price is. Put in what you think your retail, what you think your retail is now or should be, and you'll actually be able to see what your margin is. And you, but you can also do it the reverse engineer. So you can say, I want a margin of seventy percent, and it will tell you what price you need to charge. So it takes all the math out of it, and it does the math for you. But it's a really great way if you are a product-based seller, if you whether you're an artist, an artisan doing earrings, you know, making beeswax wraps or lipsticks, whatever you are, it's a really great tool to actually have a look to see what. Is my margin and am I starting to am I building my business for that wholesale market or have I actually am I cutting and undercutting myself by thinking that the market will only charge X amount so it's a really good calculator to use called Omni Calculator so I would recommend anybody even if you just google that you'll find it awesome thanks Jenny and I think I think we're going to be brave around the pricing yes you know there's a lot of that um imposter syndrome all that kind of stuff where people are just feeling like you know, as is my product good enough, if particularly around the handmade thing? Yeah, like, 100%. Yes, it is. Get it out there. Yeah. 
And there's a big push for it. Like, I mean, this is the one advantage of, I think, because so many people will see, and I guess for Reconciliation Week, so many people see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander businesses being artisan-style businesses. And there are many of the, many, you know, women who are making and, and men making art and making fabrics and making earrings and doing that artisan work. But just because they're artisan doesn't also mean that they're not, not scalable. And I just want for anyone who is in that artisan space, remember that just because you're hand-making it and just because that it's something that you're doing that's a little bespoke doesn't mean that you cannot scale that and so you need to price it for scale as well so look at it and saying how do I make sure that I'm putting the right margin in and growing my business and you can grow your business through your pricing yeah absolutely I completely agree so I look forward to talking with you next week Jenny pricing part three where we talk about um how to do it for a service-based business and um for those that want to get in touch with you Jenny how do they reach out to you so best way is socials, Facebook and Instagram at Elf in the Room AU, or you can go to find us on our website, eitrconsulting.com. Reach out, say hello, book a chat, and we can talk about pricing or we can talk about clarity. Um, and we also do our monthly, uh, sorry, Ultimate Authority webinars, masterclasses, which we do the last Wednesday of every month. So Great. register for those. And how about you? How do we find you? Uh, hellomedia.te oh, connect with us on the website and then you'll uh, find our socials through there so thanks so much everyone for being with us our uh, next live podcast will be next friday morning 9 15 um, a.m australian eastern standard time for a little more bite-sized conversations with jenny walk and kylie mobrell thanks so much everyone bye bye everyone